Hey, what's good, Rocky Peak? How are we doing this weekend? It is good to be with you once again, whether you're joining us on campus, indoors, or out on the patio, whether you're joining us online, especially special welcome to you if you're joining us on campus or watching for the very first time. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet, my name is Dre, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I get to lead us into that time. So a couple things to prepare us for that. First of all, I'm gonna say something that has absolutely nothing to do with our time of teaching. Hey, go talk to somebody about RPK. RPK is an incredible ministry and one of the most important things we can do as adults that love Jesus is just to provide a consistent presence in the lives of young kids and young teenagers. And so you don't need to know everything. You don't need to have an incredible resume. You just need to have a heart that loves Jesus and the willingness to show up. And that's gonna make a significant difference in the life of that. And actually, as I was watching that video, I find it very fitting and a testament to me as a father that it was my children who said their favorite thing about church was donuts. And so I'm ready to accept my dad of the year award anytime now. Hey, secondly, if you haven't done so already, inside that program is a green and white message note sheet, which is a great tool to help you follow along with this time of teaching. And kind of like I talked about it last week, hey, Rocky Peak, three services in, I already know God's going to get rowdy this weekend. And so I want to invite you to get rowdy with him as he continues to transform us. You know I am. You know I'm going to talk fast and wave my arms around. And so let's get rowdy together as uh, we do this. Let's pray. King Jesus, I'm thankful for your power. I'm thankful for how awesome it is. I'm thankful for how life-changing it is. But in particular, I'm thankful that there's nothing that can stop it. Jesus, you are incredibly powerful and I can experience that in the greatest moments of my life. Jesus, in my saddest, in my sorrows, in my suffering, that power remains the same. Jesus, that power is unchanging in the mundane, in the seemingly routine in my life. Whatever season I find myself in, whatever season we find ourselves in, we are always met with the incredible, unchanging power of King Jesus. And so Jesus, as we open up your word, as we say from the book of Hebrews, which is living and active, it's your very voice I pray that I, as the communicator, would become much, much less. May I fall to the side, may I be forgotten. I pray that you, King Jesus, through your word, would become much, much more. And through your word, that we would experience more of your power in our lives. It's in your name, King Jesus, that we all sit. Amen. You know, Rocky Peak, back in May, at the beginning of the summer, I attended a high school graduation for my nephew. And I think... Similarly, for any of you that have gone to a high school graduation, when you're in that setting, you tend to reflect back on your high school graduation and the circumstances that led to that, do you not? And so when I think about when I graduated from high school, I graduated from high school in the year 2000, which in a room this size either makes me really young or really old, depending on who you are. But I remember in particular that there were various celebrations for us graduating seniors. And in one particular celebration, they invited each senior up to a stage and they said something nice about us, some sort of platitude. And then they handed us a microphone and asked us to answer this question. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Now I want you to go back to when you were 18. And how would you have answered that question? 
And so I grabbed that mic confidently, and I said, in 10 years, I'm going to be accepting my second Oscar <laughs> for some type of post-production work film editing, screenwriting, directing, and granted, I had more confidence than I probably should have at the time, but my answer was absolutely sincere. See, since I was young, I've always loved the medium and the storytelling of film, and when I was a high school student, I was given the opportunity to engage with filmmaking actually through Rocky Peak, but in particular, as no joke, I was inspired by movies like Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, the good Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> and I wanted to tell good stories. And as I reflect back on that, I realize that I've been answering a variation of that question as long as I've been alive. In fact, we all have. If you think about it, in some of our earliest memories, there's been some well-meaning adult that has asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? In fact, that doesn't just happen when we're kids, that still happens as adults. It seems like there's always a question, what do you see for your future? What do you see for tomorrow? What do you see for your next step? And as I've reflected on that, what I've realized is as sincere as I was at 18 years old, as I've answered that question throughout the years, I have met it with the same level of sincerity, but my answer has changed over time. There was times in my life in which my answer legitimately was, I want to be a scientist because I deeply love science, I still do. But I didn't want to be a scientist for any altruistic or world-saving method. I wanted for completely selfish reasons. I wanted to be a scientist to rebuild the DeLorean time machine from Back to the Future, <laughs> because I thought that would be pretty cool. There was a time in my life where my honest answer to that question was I wanted to write comic books. It's a medium I fell in love with, I still love. It's a medium that I love the creativity and the storytelling that you can have on the page. There was a time in my life where my sincere answer to that question is I want to be the tram tour guide at Universal Studios. I love telling the cheesy jokes. I want to be afraid of Jaws when he pops out. I still have hope for this vision as earlier this week, Megan, my wife, is like, that would be a great job for you when you retire. So I'm going to retire and go and do that. But what I share there, this illustration, is that whenever I've thought about my tomorrow, my answer has been a snapshot that I've created of what I want to see my future become. And the reality is that we all make these snapshots of the future in our hearts and in our souls, do we not? See, last week, if you were here with us, I began talking about photos from the past, photos of experiences that we've had, of experiences in our lives. And I talked about the power of photos of the past, that they work as really good time machines to take us back, right? But not only do we have photos of the past, but like I mentioned, we create snapshots of the future, of where we would like to see our lives go, of how we would like to see our relationships go. We all have snapshots of what we want to see tomorrow become. And in fact, we don't have single snapshots. We have photo albums. 
We have snapshots for what we want to see happen in our careers or our jobs. We have snapshots for what we want to see happen with our friendships or our dating relationships or our marriages. We have snapshots for what we want to see happen with our kids or our parents. We have snapshots for places we want to visit, travels and experiences we want to have. We have snapshots for comfortability. We have snapshots for goals. It's a snapshot for represent our dreams, represent our hopes, and there are beauty in those snapshots. And if we were to ask ourselves in a room this size, all of our photos would likely be different in various ways, but they would share some common themes. Our snapshots, our preferred future, represent a life well lived to us. We look at that and it's going, hey, that's a future with value. That's a future with worth. That's a future where I feel like I have succeeded in some way. In fact, our snapshots become more than photos to us. They become a map of where we want our future to go. We view these as treasure maps to go, okay, now that's the end goal. How do I get there? And for a lot of us, our snapshots over time have changed. There are times when our snapshots have changed for good reasons. There are times when our snapshots have changed for difficult. It feels like they've been snatched from us. But that is a significant question that we all need to wrestle with What does our tomorrow hold? How should I think about our tomorrow? And the reason why that's an important question for our time this weekend is that's a significant question as Christ followers. See, as those that have given our lives to Jesus, Jesus has given us a new foundation. He's invited us to not only live a new life today, but Jesus has invited us to live in a new vision for our tomorrow. And it's a vision of power unleashed through our lives. And that's what I want to unpack in our time together this week. And so if you're joining us for the very first time, We're in the second week of a brand new mini-series we launched just last weekend called Whole Heart Experiencing God's Power Unleashed in Our Lives. And that's God's epic vision for Christ followers is that we would live out of the overflow, that we would be overwhelmed by God's power in every aspect of our lives. There in the front of your note sheet, we unpacked this verse last weekend from 2 Timothy chapter one, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And when we talk about the power of God, the power of the cross of Jesus, we talk about the power of Jesus to give what only Jesus can, life. That is his power to give life, to give healing, to give restoration, to give transformation, to give resurrection itself. God's vision is that every aspect of our lives would be overwhelmed by the life that only Jesus can give. That is his power. And that power is experienced through surrender, through opening our hands and giving our hearts and giving our lives to Jesus and saying, you are God and I am not. And so this whole series is about acknowledging the truth that there are times in which we wrestle and take back parts of our heart to take back and they stop experiencing the power of God unleashed. And so there in your note sheet, last week we set the foundation for God's vision for how do we experience this power and that's that Jesus' power is unleashed in a repentant heart. 
And if you weren't here last weekend, if you want, need a refresher, that message is up on our YouTube page, but that's the foundation we're gonna build on. And so today, as we build on that foundation of repentance, of surrender, we need to ask this question about our tomorrow. And so as new creations, and again, I wanna emphasize that, as a believer in Jesus, we are brand new creations. If you've heard me teach before, you've, off, you've probably have heard me say often that the cross of Jesus, his death and resurrection was not so that I become a slightly better version of who I was before. The power of Jesus is not. So I'm generally 90% the person I was before, but maybe now I curse a little bit less and maybe now I tithe a little bit more. The cross and the power of Jesus is to unleash a complete transformation in our lives. We are holy new creations. Nothing is the same. And as new creations, we need the leadership of Jesus to teach us how do we live in this new vision, this new kingdom he has for us. And in particular, we need to ask this key question. As a new creation, how do I now think about tomorrow. As a new creation, how do I now think about my future? And if we're honest, that's an intimidating question, isn't it? If we're honest, as Christ followers, there are many times in which that's a question we don't want to ask. If we're honest, there's many times in which we avoid that question. And the reason why is we like our snapshots. When we look at our snapshots of what we see our future could become, it makes us happy. It makes us joyful. We like our snapshots. And our fear and intimidation is that if I ask Jesus what he wants for my future, he is gonna take my snapshot away. He is gonna lead me to live a life in which I am not happy. I've read the Bible. I've seen what happens to the people in the Bible. I've seen the life that Jesus called them to live. I've seen what they've endured. I've seen what they've sacrificed. No, thank you. And so what happens is we wrestle with our hearts. It's a heart issue. And it's one of those areas, Jesus, you know what? I don't want you to lead my future. Just look the other way. Just stamp it and just let me be happy. And the reality is when we think of our futures, when we think of our snapshots, we are thinking way too low. It's not that Jesus doesn't want us to be happy, it's that he wants to give us a future. He is inviting us into a future that can't possibly fit in a snapshot. He is inviting us into an unchanging future of purpose, of value and worth, a future that is defined by power. And so our time together this weekend, I want to unpack that, that how are we now as a new creation to think about our future? The foundation of that is his power unleashed. And so that's where we're gonna spend our time unpacking this week. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Unleashing a Movement. 
And right there in your note sheet, we're gonna start right there. You're gonna see there's an excerpt from the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28. And this is a very famous piece of scripture, often called the Great Commission. Again, this is Jesus envisioning his followers, his church, for how we're now to think about tomorrow. So the resurrected Jesus says there in your note sheet, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'm not gonna unpack this too much in our time together, but what I wanna briefly highlight is there are some powerful declarations in this vision. First of all, there's a declaration of identity, a declaration of Jesus' identity that he is king, he is authority. Again, let God be God. But through that, there is a declaration of our identity as a result of who Jesus is, that we are now his disciples. We are now his students. We are now his sons and daughters. And what we see is as a declaration of identity, a key part of identity is calling, is mission, is purpose. Go and make more of what I've done in your life. And in that, there's a promise of power. I am going to be with you always to the very end of the age. We have a Jesus that does not say, go, figure it out, and come report back to me when you've won. He says, go, and I'm going to go with you. Go, and I'm going to equip you. Go, and I'm going to be the power that you need unleashed in your life to go and make disciples of all. Now, there is a, be- there is a variation of this commissioning in each of the four gospels. A little bit later, we're gonna look at one in Luke, but there's also another part of this in the book of Acts, and that's what I wanna look at in our time this weekend. So if you've got your Bibles happen- handy, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna go into Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. And we're going to be starting in verse 6. But as we get there, let me set up a little bit of context. So Acts was written by a Gentile, meaning non-Jewish doctor named Luke. He's also the man that authored the Gospel of Luke. And at this point in the chapter of Acts, the resurrected Jesus has been with his followers, has been appearing to people for a period of 40 days or so. And in that time, he has been equipping, he has been teaching, he has been comforting, he has been envisioning his purpose for what's to come. The book of Acts is the beginning of a brand new era in human history. We can call it the era of the church, we can call it the era of the Holy Spirit, but as a local church, Rocky Peak, we often call it, this is when Jesus calls us to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And so we're gonna be starting in Acts chapter one, verse six. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which Edgeliner highlight that, restore the kingdom to Israel. Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Would you underline or highlight the word authority? 
And so I want to unpack what's going on in these two verses. And in particular, it's important for us to emotionally connect with the disciples at this point, and especially with the questions that they're, with the question they're asking. If you were one of those disciples of Jesus, the last two months or so have been an incredible whirlwind. And so they are asking a very honest question of the resurrected Jesus. So, what happens now? What happens next? What does our tomorrow look like? And the reason why this is a really important and honest question is they had had a snapshot of what they expected the Messiah to do. They had a snapshot of what they expected their lives following Jesus to look like, and Jesus shattered all of those expectations. In fact, I would call their snapshot at this point a reverse Polaroid. You know that if you take a Polaroid picture, it begins on you, in which you can't see it, and over time it becomes clear. Well, they began with a snapshot and an expectation, and over time it got harder and harder to see. They wanted Messiah to set up a literal temporal kingdom. They they wanted Messiah to defend them from the oppression of Rome. They did not expect Messiah to die. And so here they are in the aftermath of the unexpected. And like any of us, they're confused. They're kind of holding the snapshot they once had and go, so now? Are you going to do this now? And what Jesus is going to do for them as well as us is he's going to give them a much bigger vision of what kingdom means. And so his first answer to that question is authority. And that's the foundation for how any of us who think of tomorrow is the authority of God. Again, we quoted it last week, let God be God. How should I think about tomorrow? Let God be God, because it was his authority that unleashed his power in the first place. It is his authority that will continue to unleash his power in our lives. And now on that foundation of let God be God, he begins to give them a much bigger vision for the kingdom of God. And so as we go to verse eight, but you will receive power underline or highlight that word, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Underline or highlight that word. Power and witnesses are the key words we are gonna be addressing. So in fact, don't just underline them, put boxes around them, arrows, smiley face, fames, whatever brings your attention to it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here is Jesus casting a bigger vision, first of all, for us as his children, for our identity. Jesus is speaking not just to them then, but to us today, that one of the key characteristics of being a Christ follower, one of the key marks, one of the key definitions of our lives is the power of God in us. 
When you gave your life to Jesus through an act of beautiful repentance, when you gave your life to Jesus and experienced his forgiveness and grace and mercy, when you experienced his transformation, you experienced power. You experienced his power, but the intent was not that that would be the only time we experience it. God's intent is not that experiencing his power would be an occasional or every so often experience, that it would be a daily now experience. It would mark our tomorrow. And to ensure that, he has given us his spirit. He has given us his undeserved gift. He has given us his power. And to paint a picture of his power, when we look at the Greek word that this translation has has translated to power, it's the word dynamis. If I were to write it out in English, you could also read it as dynamis, which sounds like what? Dynamite. That's a picture of the power that has been placed in you. And not only have you and I been given this power through the Holy Spirit, we have been given this power so that we can then become witnesses as a result of his power in our lives. And through that, he is casting a much, much bigger picture of who is going to carry the mission out and where this mission is to be carried out. And so it can be easy for us some 2,000 years later to read these geographical places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and for that to sound normal. But I want to take a little bit of moment to understand the context of how this would have been received to his primarily Jewish audience at first. And so I'm a visual learner. Indulge me. Let's go to some map work here. So Rafi, if you throw the first one in. So he says, you're going to begin and be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that made a lot of sense. Jerusalem carried a lot of theological and cultural significance. If you were a Jewish person or a Jewish family, wherever you lived in the region, you likely pilgrimed to Jerusalem at least three times a year for these incredible celebrations and holy festivals. And so it was often seen that Jerusalem was going to be a key place, a key location, if not the location for what they expect the physical kingdom of God to be. But he goes one step further. Rafi, could you go to the next slide? He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem and then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, which is the region in the cities around Jerusalem. And so already we see Jesus casting a bigger vision that up to that point, the vision was likely we go from the outside to Jerusalem. But now he's beginning to cast this vision that Jerusalem is now a new ground zero from which a new movement of Jesus is going to flow out out. But also at this point, hearing Jerusalem and hearing Judea probably wouldn't cause a stir in any kind because that was what I would consider the familiar. They were to be witnesses in what they knew, where they knew, with who they knew. They were to be witnesses in their everyday and hear me. Just because it was familiar doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. There was oppression, there was disagreement, there was brokenness, there were sins, but they probably would hear that and go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Now here's the key thing. Jesus' vision didn't stop there. Rafi, go to the next one. Samaria. This is what I would call the heart stopper because the Samaritans were their enemy. 
The Samaritans was a people in a region that they tried to avoid at all costs. To an average Jewish believer, the Samaritans really don't have a place in the kingdom of God. Samaria represented an area, represented a people group that was hostile and that was dangerous. At the time of the book of Acts taking place, we're dealing with centuries, likely over 700 years of hostility between the Jewish nation and the Samaritans. And these were racial divisions. These were political divisions. These were religious divisions. And you know full well that just one of those can lead to incredible division and disagreement and hostility. And for centuries, they had been dealing with three. When they would hear, go and be my witnesses, what they're hearing is Jesus is sending us into the danger. Jesus is sending us into the frying pan. Jesus is sending us to clear enemies. Why would he do that? Because his power is not limited to one group in one area to one time. His power is for all people. His power is not limited to one set of problems or divisions or hostility, or hostility that is easily managed. His power can overcome any division, any sin, any darkness. So he's called them to the familiar, he's called them into the danger, and then he doesn't even stop there. He goes one further and says, and then you're gonna go to the very ends of the earth. He's basically saying, you're gonna go beyond anything you expect. You're gonna go beyond what you envision. You're gonna go beyond what you imagine. Again, this message, this kingdom is for all people. In other words, in the most beautiful and joyful way, Jesus is telling his believers, his church today, you have a snapshot and my power is too big for your snapshot. I want more. I want you to experience more of my power. And so we need to shatter the borders of that snapshot. And that's why I'm saying, go as my witnesses. And then as we close our time in the passage in verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And again, this isn't an ending, but this is the beginning of a movement being unleashed through the people that proclaim King Jesus. And so there on your note sheet, Luke from his gospel, he records that there's a parallel of this in Luke chapter 24. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, the Spirit, the power of God. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And what I love that is on our own, on my own strength, on my own power, on my own, uh, my own thoughts, on my own intelligence, on my own shoulders, I am not equipped to do this but I'm not called to do this on my own. I have been given God's spirit and his power through it. And so this leads me back to the question that I asked at the opening. Has Christ followers, as holy new creation, how am I now to think about tomorrow? As witnesses. We are now to think about our tomorrow as witnesses of King Jesus. And so what I want to do with the time we have left is I want to take that passage and set it as our foundation. 
And from that passage, what I want to do is I want to unpack two important truths about this new calling, this new vision for our tomorrow. And again, the details of that vision and that calling are going to be different for all of us, but we need to unpack the foundation of who exactly is Jesus calling to be his witnesses and where exactly he's sending us to go. And so there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Called and Empowered. And your fill-in is this. Jesus' power is unleashed through witnessing. Jesus' power is unleashed through witnessing. And some of us have heard witnessing before, this act of evangelism. Some of us are familiar with the act or the practice of witnessing, and that is absolutely good and true, but the reality is that's not the totality of what witnessing is. Before witnessing is something we do, we need to understand that the core and the root of witnessing is our identity as a result of Jesus. Witnessing is the overflow of who we now are because of Jesus, it is our core identity. I am now a witness. You are now a witness that Jesus is king. At some point in your life, as a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes and you came to believe and declare that Jesus is king, that Jesus heals and forgives us of our sins, that Jesus restores and transforms our lives. See, you weren't there some 2,000 years ago to witness the cross with your own eyes, but yet your heart and your soul has witnessed the truth that King Jesus lives and King Jesus reigns. And so at some point, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to that reality, and in that moment, you were gifted God's Spirit, and you became a witness as to what the cross can do in the lives of others. Christ follower, you are a witness. And the reason why this is so important to continue to unpack is because in a room this size, in a church like this, and in any church, there is always gonna be a group of people that hear something like this or something similar and go, yes, let's go, I'm ready. And there's gonna be a group of people that go, no. And it's not because you don't wanna be used by God. It's not because you don't want to see people come to experience the reality of Jesus. It's because we often think there's somebody better equipped to do it. We often sit there and go, yeah, that person would be a great witness, not me. I would be terrible. And often when we talk about a teaching like this or a passage like this, we begin coming up with all the but what abouts. Jesus, but what about the fact that I don't have good answers to all the questions? Jesus, what, what about the fact that I've, I've made a lot of mistakes? I feel like my life's kind of a mess and so is the Apostle Paul's. Jesus, what about the fact that, you know, there's a couple things I really would like to do first? Jesus, what about the fact that I'm not very eloquent speaker? Jesus, what about the fact that I'm super, super awkward? I don't know if I could do this. Jesus, what about the fact that I'm not confident? Jesus, what about, what about, what about? And what we begin to do is we begin to present a reverse resume of all the reasons why Jesus is wrong. 
But the reality is our but whatabouts is us trying to wrestle our heart back from the authority of Jesus. You are the right witness, not because of you, but because of the spirit in you. You are right about your deficiencies. The spirit does not share those deficiencies. The spirit is in you to empower you to do things despite you. You are the right witness because of God's power in you. And there's, again, a lot of ways, but I want to do a quick side bit here that sometimes one of those but whatabouts is, but what about my testimony, my story of how I came to meet Jesus? See, sometimes we can feel intimidated because we have heard some beautiful testimonies and stories, have we not? There are some people here, there's some family here that your story is better than any epic trilogy we've ever seen on screen. And as beautiful as that is, for some of us, we sit there and go, and we sit there and feel intimidation going, my story is not that flashy. My story is a lot simpler. My story didn't have so many twists and turns. Are you sure God can use my story? Yes. Because this is your story. That God the Father so loved you that he sent his one and only son to enter into our world, to enter into your life to live the life you couldn't live because of sin, to die the death that you deserve to die because of sin, to resurrect your heart and give you new life, new identity, and a new vision for the future. Your story is the story of the gospel. So yes, you have a pretty darn good story. And so... You are the right witness because of the spirit given to you. There in your note sheet, I put an excerpt from John chapter four, and this has become a very special passage to me, a little bit of context. This is the end or near the end of a conversation encounter Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. And as Jesus engages with this, he's already breaking a lot of cultural and gender boundaries by being a Jewish rabbi engaging with a Samaritan woman. And what's unusual is that he encounters her as she's drawing water in the middle of the day. And while we can't say that, we say this with complete certainty, what makes it unusual is that it's thought, it's likely that she was doing it to avoid the townspeople that would usually be there. And as Jesus engages her in conversation, we find out why, that she's an outcast. She is a bit of a scandal. She had been an adulteress. She was sexually promiscuous. And here she is encountering Jesus and Jesus calls her out on her sin, but Jesus also shares with her the life, the power that he brings, his living water as he puts it. And there in your she, this is the result. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And what's beautiful about her account is the picture and the testimony it is to the power of God flowing through us. On paper, she was the wrong witness. 
On paper, she was the wrong person to represent the king and the Messiah. And yet, in the eyes of God, she was the absolute right person. She experienced his power. She experienced his repentance. And through that power unleashed, it empowered her to go and do the impossible. She had a sense of urgency. She dropped her jug and she ran back into the danger. She ran back into the hostility. She ran back into the people that had shunned her, that had hurt her, that had cast her out and not in a spirit of anger or hate or retribution, but in love with the power of God, she goes, come and see the Messiah. And what do they do? They go and see Jesus. They go and they experience Jesus for themselves. You are the right witness because of the spirit of God that has been gifted to you. So that's the who we needed to make sure we were clear. Second, we need to talk about the where. And so there in your note sheet, the next fill-in is that Jesus empowers us to go. Now you see the ellipses, we're gonna talk a little bit more of the specifics, but we need to focus and feel the beautiful weight and truth of that. Jesus empowers us to go. Being his witness being on mission, answering his call, however you want to word it, is not meant to be an obligation. It's not meant to be a curse, but it is a gift and an opportunity for joy. And not only that, the biggest part of that gift is that he empowers us by being his witness. We experience more of his power unleashed in our lives and the intent of God in this call in Acts is for that to fire us up. Let me illustrate it this way. I've mentioned many times over the years that I deeply, deeply love music. And one of the beautiful powers of music is that how music can cause an emotional reaction in you, can it not? And in fact, you probably as well as I do, I have a long list of songs that when I listen to them, they fire me up. A lot of these songs, all I need to do is listen to the intro and all of a sudden everything stops and in my heart I go, business is about to pick up. The other day, I just had my music going on shuffle, and you know what came on? One of those songs, Separate Ways by Journey. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, Spotify and Apple Music. What's hilarious to me, it's a song about breaking up, but man, it gets you hype. It just gets you going. Again, no, business is about to pick up. And the reason why I share the silliness of that illustration is that's the word of God. When we read Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. It doesn't mean that we won't feel intimidation at times or hardship at times, but it's God's voice, it's his promise intended to fire us up to go, okay, Jesus, wherever you want me to go, I'm going with your power, amen? All right, so with that, let's unpack the specifics and using that model of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first fill-in under that, Jesus empowers us to go to the familiar. Our witness begins in what we know. 
Our witness begins in the day-to-day. See, this is an opportunity for a new or a renewed vision for our everyday lives. Being a witness for a King Jesus isn't always that we need to get on a plane and go across the world. Being a witness for King Jesus isn't always that we need to stand in front of thousands of people and proclaim his gospel. Those are beautiful opportunities and invitations that he gives to us. But being a witness, experiencing his power happens in the day to day. Jesus has already put people and situations and circumstances in your life in which he is inviting you to be a witness through. You have the opportunity to be a witness to your friends. You have an opportunity to be a witness to your families. You have an opportunity to be witnesses in your communities. You have an opportunity to be witnesses at your schools. You have an opportunity to be witnesses at your jobs. You have an opportunity to be witness at Starbucks, at Target, at the DMV. As someone who bears the spirit of God, there is no place you go that is not holy. Therefore, the familiar the everyday, that is a vital part of our mission. But it's not just the everyday of the places or the people in our familiar, we have been called to be witnesses to certain circumstances. There are people you are called to be a witness to who are experiencing incredible highs and joys. And you've been asked to enter into that and be a witness. There are people in your life that are experiencing pain and hardship. And you've been asked to enter into that and be a witness. There are people in your life that are experiencing drudgery and the mundane and boring of what they see as the routine. And you've been asked to go and be a witness into that. And so with each of these three locations, what I want to give you is I want to give you a reflection question. I want to give you a prayer. This is not on your note sheet, but I want to invite you, as I often do, to go before the Lord and ask one of these three prayers when our time is done. And so when it comes to being a witness in the familiar, here's the prayer. Jesus What opportunity are you giving me in my day-to-day? What opportunity are you giving me in my day-to-day? And let me share, as I was putting this message together, I began reflecting on this question in particular. And the Lord answered that question by bringing me to a place of conviction. And again, the conviction of the Lord is not meant for me to live and dwell in guilt and in shame, but it's an opportunity for me to confess and repent and experience his power in an area I've been holding back. And so oddly enough, he brought me to a place of conviction about my morning routine with my kids. We're getting ready to send my three elementary age kids back to school next week. And there's a part of that that I gotta be honest, I'm absolutely dreading. Not the school part, it's the morning part. If you are the parent of an elementary age or you've been there or a parent of a teenager, you know it is no small task to get a kid, let alone three kids, appropriately dressed, somewhat fed, and to school in a reasonable time. And so as I was confused going, well, why are you bringing this up? The Lord's response is, what are your kids witnessing in you? Oh, well, efficiency, a respect for when school starts, discipline, 
No, what are they witnessing in you? <sighs> Anger. Disappointment. Frustration. Not isolated, but over and over and over again. And so as I prayed this prayer, the Lord's response was, be a witness there. So ask the Lord, where is he giving you an opportunity to be a witness in your day to day? The second fill in is that Jesus empowers us to go into the danger. Jesus empowers us to go into the danger. And for me, the definition I would use is that going into the danger means entering into the brokenness of sin. And danger is a big, big bucket that we can unpack in various ways, but just briefly for our time, when I look at the example of Samaria, I would say for our time that Jesus is empowering us to enter into the relational danger, enter into a relational danger that has been wrecked by sin. And so when it came to the Samaritans, when then it came to the Gentiles, when it came to the ends of the earth, Jesus empowered his people to go and engage, to go and be present, to go and yes, bring truth, to go and point to the conviction he brings. But ultimately Jesus asked his church, he asks his church today to enter into a relationship danger with hostile people, with seemingly enemies, with people that might intimidate us, with people we definitely don't agree to, not because we're meant to agree, but because we can enter in and bring light. We can enter in and bring hope. We can enter in and bring the love and grace of God. Jesus is asking us to enter into the danger because it is exactly what he did. He entered into our danger. We relationally broke everything with him. And he entered into that. He entered into my danger. He entered into my mess. He still enters into my danger. He still enters into my sin. He still enters into my, into my brokenness. And he still brings his power, which gives life. And he's asking us to go and do the same. You know, if you've been here over the last several weeks, you know that this mini-series is an interlude in a bigger series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And when we're done with this mini-series, Michael's gonna continue leading us in 1 Corinthians. But what I love about the city of Corinth is the city of Corinth was one of the most far-from-God places you can imagine. Pagan worship, worship through orgies, debauchery. On paper, the city of Corinth was absolutely hopeless. And what does Jesus see in it? That's where my church needs to be. I need witnesses to enter into the danger and to share the power of God that is found in hope and is found in mercy and is found in joy. And so a reflection question I would invite you to pray is Jesus, what opportunity are you giving me to experience your power through the danger. Because we don't go alone. We are empowered. What opportunity are you giving me to experience your power through the danger? In the final place, Jesus empowers us to go beyond our expectations to the very end of the earth. 
Life has a way of surprising you, doesn't it? And if we were to stop and reflect, we can look back on our lives and think that there have been surprises, unexpected circumstances, curveballs thrown in our way that have been deeply painful, that have caused hurt and suffering. But yet at the same time, if we stop and reflect, we can look the fact and there have been surprises, there has been the unexpected we've experienced that have led to some of the greatest joys, some of the sweetest victories, some of the most beautiful experiences we can have. Many of you sitting here this weekend are an unexpected joy in someone's life for various reasons. But in particular, for some of you, when you think of your story to Jesus, when you think of your younger self, your before Jesus self, would they have ever imagined you'd be sitting in church one day? Are there people in your life that are still blown away that you're sitting in church one day? You are an unexpected miracle. And so I wrestle with my heart at times because I want to take control. And I want to eliminate the unexpected from happening. But when I do that, I try to be God and not Jesus himself. Instead, the opportunity I'm given as his witness is to go before the Lord and pray, Jesus, prepare my heart for what I don't see coming. You know, one thing that has really been challenging and growing me is something that Megan, my wife, has been saying in our family for the last couple of months, that we need to stop letting life happen to us. We need to stop playing the defensive and we need to start getting on the offensive. But the offensive is not the circumstances, the offensive is rooting ourselves in the character of God. Jesus, would you begin to prepare my heart so that when the unexpected happens, my natural reaction is to run to you is to embrace you, is to trust you. And there's a great example of this there in your note sheet from Acts chapter eight. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And as I'm prone to say, because I love this word, this is extraordinary. Because this is a response to the unexpected. What had happened is that these Jewish believers had originally gone to uh, Jerusalem to experience Passover. They were there for the Passover festival. They had no inclination of staying any longer than they needed to in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, everything changed. What was unexpected? Jesus. They encountered Jesus. They were changed by his spirit. And now they're staying longer as this new community of Jewish believers. They're depending on the locals to support them with their needs. They don't know what the next day is gonna bring, but they know that God is doing something in his life. And now they encounter another unexpected curveball, which is massive persecution. And we're not simply talking about the Romans, but we're talking by their fellow countrymen. We're talking religious persecution. How dare you? believed that Jesus was God's Messiah. And it was so severe that it caused them that they had to flee. And so now here you are, cut off from the community that you be, cut off from the new community you were part in, cut off from your family, cut off from your friends, cut off from support. You were likely hurting. You were likely frustrated. You were likely suffering. They were in the danger as this led to some of them in Samaria. And what do they choose to do? Point to life. Be witnesses. 
what is this model for us? That when the unexpected happens, Jesus' power is with us and Jesus' power is enough, not just to sustain us, but to lead us to thriving. They knew nothing else. Remember, at this point in their spiritual journeys, they couldn't lead an apologetics class. They couldn't write theological volumes. What did they know? Christ crucified and the power of the Holy Spirit in them, and that was enough. They were the right witnesses. And so Rocky Peak, as we wrap things up, I'm gonna invite the band to come on out. And as we go into this time of reflection, again, I wanna invite you, would you carve out some unrushed time in the next 24 hours to be before the Lord? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to one of those three reflection questions or a variation of them? Like you see on the back of your program, would you spend some time reading Acts 1-8 and let it fire you up? But ultimately, as we go into this time of worship, as we go into our one-on-one times with Jesus, may we be a people that are embracing our identity and celebrating, I am a witness of King Jesus because of the power his cross has unleashed in me. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your power. We thank you as we're about to declare that it was your grace, it was your mercy, it's your forgiveness that completely rewrote our stories. You took us from death to life. Jesus, we acknowledge full well we are imperfect. We acknowledge full well that we are still works in progress and yet we acknowledge that your power is not impeded by that that you are regularly transforming us. And through that, we have the opportunity to go and be witnesses in the world around us, in the day-to-day, in the danger, beyond our expectations. Sometimes all three happen at the same time, but we don't go alone. Your power is in us. Your power is unleashed when we surrender and say, okay, Jesus, the one who made me a witness in the first place, tell me where and I will go. Tell me well where and my family will go. Jesus, you have given us your power and we will go to unleash your movement in the world around us. And it's in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen.